Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is Scott Dickens, two-time Olympian and now Director of Business Development at Form, who is one of our sponsors of the podcast. And today we are going to be talking about how you can make the most of the eight-week course that we've got. And there's been thousands of swimmers who have, who have gone through that and how you can make the most of that course to make sure you're making the progression and the improvement that you want to see. And this is going to be relevant even if you haven't got the course or done the course what we talk about here is going to be relevant for you and make sure that you get something out of the podcast. So Scott, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be on. Well, before we, were, we started this call, you're actually just talking about your last Olympics in 2012 and something that you, technique change that you went through and what you experienced. And I thought, geez, that's, that's really interesting. Someone at your level, an Olympian, working on their technique and having some changes feel like they weren't the right changes to make, but you just had to trust yourself and they eventually turned out to be the right thing to do. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I thought that was an interesting conversation. Yeah. I mean, swimming is such a technical sport and, you know, you look at the best swimmers in the world and whether you think they have the best technique or not, they'll never master it because there's always going to be someone to break that world next world record. So it's a matter of fine balance and finding the right kind of technique that works for you and your body because everyone's different. Um, you know, I started swimming and made my first Olympic team at 19 and, you know, young and silly and dumb thought I was just going to keep getting better. And, you know, technique was always that thing that was my driver of my success. I was never the biggest or strongest breaststroker. Oddly enough, I'm a six foot five breaststroker built like a butterfly, but the stroke chooses you. But, you know, as the sport progressed and, you know, I could see others kind of moving faster at a faster rate than me and my world ranking kind of just almost stagnant or even going down, but yet I'm actually doing best times and improving. It, it leads you to question what's going on and why am I not, why am I getting left behind and why am I not keeping up? So, you know, going into the 2012 year, I knew that was probably going to be my last, you know, run at Olympic games given not, maybe not age is not really a factor, but just, I kind of made that decision with my family and, I looked at my coach after the world championships in 2011 in Shanghai and I came, you know, 18th. I came 19th at the 2004 Olympic games. And it's like, you know, it's been seven years kind of just doing the same thing. And that's kind of the definition of insanity. If you look it up, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So I think something can be a pitfall where we, we think and wonder why we're not improving. And you know, you work harder, you know, you find maybe a new coach, you try a new plan, but if your technique and there isn't like those minor adjustments, you might not ever see those incremental improvements or that leap that you're expecting. So I looked at my coach and I said like, you know, we're starting back up in a couple of weeks. I don't want to go into this year saying what if, and don't want to leave any stones unturned. So I said, I'm willing to fail, but I'm willing to try something new to, to fail. So I've accepted whether I'm going to make the team or not make the team because I've made a team in 2004. I missed the team in 2008 by a tenth of a second in the finals, the trials, gut-wrenching, but you learn a lot about yourself and you move on. It makes you the person you are today. So going in, we decided like, you know, he talked to some of the best, you know, coaches in the world. Like how is Ken Vandenberg's coach training him for, you know, 100-meter breaststroke and some of my other key competitors. You look at them, they're they're big. They're, and they're like, their breaststroke had turned into a very power oriented stroke. And, you know, look at Adam Peaty. He's like built like a CrossFit athlete, right? Athlete, right? So I had, you know, great technique, but still wasn't a technique that was a power technique. So very much generating high power with my pull and kick. So we essentially looked at what can we do to one, increase your power? And that one, what adjustments can we do in your stroke to help you utilize that power? So we started in September and first we started with the power and we went from something nine times, 10 times in the water a week to down to six uh, and really focused swimming, no more than about 4K. So I went from doing tons of yardage to just really specific meaningful work in the pool, whether it was technical work or just working on like 50 pace, 100 pace, 200 pace. But it was very much to the point. And the rest of the time I was 
powerlifting, doing explosive work on the track, just doing other cross training elements to really develop my body and try and put on weight as well as develop that, you know, explosive power. And then there came the technique where I, you know, we did a couple of video analysis workouts with some technicians, but also analyzing some key, you know, brushstrokers in the world and how they were doing their technique. And based on my size and my wingspan, actually it was me looking at kind of Brendan Hansen's stroke and identifying that like he almost does his full pull before he comes out of the water. We've seen a couple of recent female brushstrokers do that. It kind of almost reminds you of a 217 that was broken just last week. Look at that stroke. She's got a, such a powerful pull, comes out of the water and then rides that, you know, glide with her kick. So we essentially started to incorporate that. And, you know, with the adaptation of more power and trying to gain mass and changing my technique, I kind of like started the season here and we had a goal in mind of like going like 59.3 in the 100 meter brushstroke. Best time was without a suit, 007. So it's a big drop. So the target was be able to come back in 30.8. And how do you do that? You have to, well, be out in 27.8 and then incorporate the, let's say, full second for a turn for a full six foot five individual. And then that equates to 30.8 from a push long course. And the goal was like, how do we do that at 18 strokes at 95% effort? So that was like, okay, what can we do day one? Like after a couple of weeks of, you know, base training, what can I do at 18 strokes at 95% effort? like 33 high, 30, maybe 33 low. And then it was like 34, 35. It just got worse and worse and worse <laughs> because I would change my stroke. It felt awful. My brain was telling me saying like, why are you swimming like this? You swim one way for since you were six years old and you did really well doing that. Go back. And my body's also hurting because you know it's just fatigued from all the weightlifting and it's mental battle. You see the time on the clock, but you're trying over and over, you're doing drill work over and over again, you're getting slower, you're getting more tired, you're eating like 10,000 calories a day. And it wasn't until about December that I finally saw like a little, little squeak of light at the end of, light in the, end of the tunnel. And I was at like a development, like a, just a meet we had in our own pool in December before the Christmas break. And I dove off and went like a 101.6. And I was like, you know what, like at this time of year for how I'm feeling, I'll take that. And then it kind of went on training camp after the Christmas break. And it was just like, I started to believe in it. So it was one, it was about like, my body doesn't want to do it. My mind doesn't want to do it. And yet I started to see that time drop and consistently just get better and better and better. And then I started to find like new limits of in terms of what I thought was like pain threshold and what I was capable of mentally. And I realized I didn't have any limits. And once I realized that, and like I could push through the pain threshold of like when your fingers are cramping, your forearms tighten up, and you just have nothing left, and yet you find a you find a way to push off again and go faster and do it again. And that was a bit of an aha moment I had in January. And then all of a sudden it became an addiction, and I was just like, I know this is working. And I'm just going to stick to it. No matter how bad it feels, even technically and still going faster, I'm just going to stick to this. So even when I was racing, I had to work so hard mentally at doing this new stroke because still you can go fall back into habits, but it's your mind that forces you to do a new formation that your body maybe doesn't want to do. Eventually it became like natural, but it still felt awkward because of like 20 plus years of doing stroke one way and then just changing it anyways i ended up making the team and then getting to the olympics and you know making final in the relay breaking the canadian records in the 100 and the 200 going 59.8 didn't quite get my 59.3 but a full second drop that year is pretty substantial in a 100 meter sprint but it was all because of like looking and evaluating and deciding to make this change like you want to go best time in running you want to go best time in swimming it become it requires you to go to the drawing board and almost be willing to sacrifice. And the hardest part will be the mental part. Like, can I do what this plan or this coach is asking me to do? And cause it's not going to feel good. Change doesn't feel good, especially in like sport. When you change your technique, 
all of a sudden you have to go through adaptation. And most people don't want to deal with that adaptation because it takes too long. So it's a matter of how can you stick it out and how can you look forward to what's on the other side, but accept from day one, that's it's going to be hard. That was the thing that stood out most to me is, is you consciously made the decision to sacrifice potentially making the team for this change because you'd got to that point in your career where you were, I guess, fed up with not making any improvements and doing the same thing again and again. And you just wanted to, you thought, I've got to try something new here. And that's yeah. that's a big decision to come to for a lot of people. And I've spoken with and worked with a, a few pro triathletes and for a, for a lot of them, I think they, they're at that point where they're not willing to make that sacrifice because the, the payoff time they might see as being too long and they don't want to sacrifice the next maybe six months of mm-hmm. results. But those that, you know, but those that, that do and are willing to you know, potentially go a little bit slower for the first few months, they're the ones that can, you know, that, that can improve. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a huge part of it is that, that decision and knowing what to, to expect. And yeah. you're right, it, it does not feel good. <laughs> it does not no, feel good. No, it doesn't. And I think the other thing, like when you look at it, like if you do make those sacrifices, but you do come out on the other side, what you've also done is increase your efficiency, which in the in turn will increase your speed because you know that's what it relates to. You know, you know your stroke length, you know, DPS is your you know ability to hold and do technique. The rating is your how well you can sustain that, and that's going to equate to how fast you're going. And at the end of the day, going like 32s long course at 14 strokes felt easy and that's like because i just got maximum efficiency in my stroke as it related to the power i was being able to generate through the stroke because of the work i was doing out of the pool and Hmm. that was like kind of that also aha moment was like i can't believe this is happening like i can consistently do you know 50 on 50 going such a low stroke count but going this fast Mm. yeah it's because i see a lot of swimmers in like they're they're limited their speed's limited by their technique that's what's holding them up and and something that comes to mind there is working with a a swimmer at the moment and we're really having trouble making some changes to his to his technique and i said i want you to do this one drill and it's it's long dog paddle drill Mm -hmm. uh, because i see there's a lot of correlation from doing that drill well to swimming well at least for some of the changes that we wanted to make to his stroke and so we're spending like a couple weeks he's sending videos back and forth to get really good at this drill because i can see that if he can do this drill well with the right timing making sure he's finishing his stroke at the back making sure he's keeping his fingers pointing down and not like coming in and coming Mm -hmm. underneath him if he can just do that right with the drill which is the easy way to do it then that's going to help him do it in the swim stroke because there's been other things that we've tried that just haven't haven't worked so yeah. yeah it's just just willing to persist with it and initially when he um, i said I, I want you to do this drill and we, we want to get really good at it and he's just like oh yeah I'm trying but it's just not I, I just can't see the relevancy of it like what what's the point so yeah. that's what i think a coach's role can be is like you've, you've got to let them know this is why we're we're doing it this is the point of the drill and this is what we want to get to in the next couple of weeks time or a couple of months time was it a conversation that you had with your coach at the time or is this something that you just come to on on your own and then you, you spoke to your coach i think it was that like kind of mutual like understanding where we had such a great year in preparation leading into the shanghai world championships in 2011 and like my like the times i was doing like in season so in season being like in work not rested not shaved not tapered we're set like we're like you know i'm going to do something good here it's finally like you know in t- the year before i like went one double oh seven did well got a bronze in the 50 at the pan packs so you know the training quality was much better in 2011 and it was just like we looked at each other and he's like i'm sorry like it was like that to hear that from a coach and him say that you know i feel like i've, I've let you down like what what, what can we do better and he's like, I don't know what that is right now, but let's come back to the drawing board and figure that out. So that's what we did. And that was, uh, that's where our relationship, I think, also took off because it was now based on communication. And so every workout was almost like he wrote the workout and I was like, 
here's your section. It was in the sprint group. And he's like, here's your section. Like I was only brushed over in the group. So he became very focused on like making sure there was a, an adaptation of the workout for me because I can't train like a sprint freestyler because I'm a breaststroker. It's totally different. And it took a while to learn that. So it was very much like, look at the workout, tell me what you think. I came very involved in that process. And there was a lot of drill work in a lot of things that we were doing, a lot of isolated pull, a lot of isolated kick, and then a lot of kick, pull, swim component build sets. And then there was like those couple times a week where it was strictly full stroke, focusing on particular race paces. But the isolated drill work is you're breaking down the stroke and forcing yourself to focus on one thing at a time. But when you do that in high repetition, it becomes very much forced and natural. And that's where like, I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of doing kick in isolation, doing drill in isolation, or doing like different forms of pull in isolation without pull boys and like without paddles and those enhancements to really like develop the muscles and the muscle memory of the part of the stroke that you need to develop on. Mm. Yeah. I want to, I want to go to that for a bit is the kick because, and, and I think probably six, seven years ago, I, I was like, yeah, like triathlete, don't worry about your kick. However, I've gotten a bit smarter in the last seven years, I think, and just seeing that the kick is letting a lot of triathletes down not that you need to kick hard, we, like we know that, but it needs to be effective. And often there's things that people are doing that their kick is slowing them down. Mm-hmm. And if they were ju- to just isolate the kick and do a little bit, bit of kick work in some of their workouts, they're going to start to waken up the legs. They're going to help make this kick much more effective. And whether that's doing some vertical kick, kick on the side, even just like over kick, like fast, fast legs, slow arms, just start to wake up the legs and do that as part of your warm up. I've seen yeah. really good results with a lot of the swimmers that I've I've coached and it takes t- it takes time like typically 2 to 3 months of just doing that consistently. Yeah. But boy does it make a difference. Like I've seen times come down fairly significantly primarily as as getting the kick to be rather than a passenger to their the rest of their stroke it's becoming a part of it and they're able to work it in with the rest of their stroke. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $249 US dollars. They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one-year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US dollars a month, where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder but you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the form goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads-up display where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap, I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. You make a great point because like you think about the triathlon stroke rate, it's probably much needs to be much higher because you're out in open water and you need to hold a specific rhythm. If you're not able to attach the right kick to that stroke rate, you're, you're out of rhythm. So you got half your body trying to do one thing and half your body trying to do another thing. So unless you condition the legs the same way, you're going to be kind of fighting your own body. And I think that's really important. Like you said, not only does it, you know, help them develop that, you know, 
strategic strength, leg strength, but how much does that correlate to their biking and running? Because like when you're kicking, you're using every muscle in your leg and you're fighting resistance at the same time. So, you know, whenever I kick freestyle, I know it gasses me way more than it does brushstroke kick. Yeah, that's right. And if you do it incorrectly as well, it is it is a lot harder. I, I remember doing some, we were just doing some filming for, just I think what it was was for, for the our beginner freestyle course that we did last year. And I had to swim 50 meters where I was kicking like someone who's doing it incorrectly. So I was kicking like someone riding a bike, bending the knees, doing these really big kicks all from the knee. And I was toast at the end of that 50. I was so exhausted kicking that way. And I thought, there's no, yeah, (laughs) I just thought, no wonder that that people get tired, like kicking, kicking that way. And then when you change it to, you know, just a, a smaller kick, slightly straighter legs, it's much, much more efficient. So there's things you can do to help. Yeah, help help make the kick a lot a lot easier to do. So I think it's it's good to isolate it. I want to jump into a, a couple of things to do with the eight week course because yeah. uh, two weeks ago we just added the form workouts for the eight week course. So those that are listening, if you've been through the the course, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't been through it, this is our eight week faster freestyle course where basically go through each element of the freestyle stroke and have specific drills to do as part of your warm up each week. And there's a video that goes along with it. And then there's three main sets, three different workouts. And we've just added the ability to download them to your form goggles and follow those sessions just yeah, along with on, on your form goggles there. So if you are listening, and you've got the course, well, that's now in there. And uh, the, what I want to sort of cover here is a couple, a few of the different weeks. I want to talk about some of the, the technical aspects there and what you can focus on and what you can look for either on your form goggles or if you're using just a you know, watch like a Garmin, you can track that as well, just to mm-hmm. how to correlate the technique and the data that comes along with it. So the, the first one that I wanted to, to touch on was week two, which is posture, head position and kick. And when we think about improving the stroke, it's reduced drag, increased propulsion, whether that's breaststroke, whether that's freestyle, you can boil it down to those those two things and the first thing we want to make sure we do is reduce drag especially in breaststroke as you know like that's such a high drag stroke that anything you can do to reduce that drag is it's highly important i mean thinking of your technique yeah what was the sort of focus there in terms of reducing drag with with breaststroke what were you looking at yeah that's a really good question because you know you look at freestyle and backstroke even butterfly predominantly they're very consistent in terms of the acceleration points in the stroke it's very much based on like a flow pattern whereas like breaststroke you really have pauses in the stroke and you have to one get back to that most minimal resistance part of the stroke which is the glide and so your pull and your kick need to be narrow and snappy so that you're getting back to that position so mm-hmm. one of the things i had to do was work on the smooth slow catch and then establish you know the pull of the stroke with the high elbow catch, the catch and butterfly breaststroke and freestyle is the same. It's just how far you're pulling back really. But then it was like a nice, strong, established pull. And then once I, you're only pulling like a, like a quarter of the amount of a butterfly stroke or even a freestyle stroke, but then it's like, you got to bring the elbows in, shrug your shoulders and get your body up and out and ready to be in that glide position. So from here, once you're done, I was really focused on like that, sheer acceleration of getting my arms in and out into the glide face so that I could essentially surf on top of the water. Because you lot look at a lot of brushstrokes, they dive under the water, they come back out, and then they glide at the surface. So you have to learn how to lay out on the water. That comes with a fast recovery so that when you kick, you just keep extending on top of the water. So that was really one of the things I had to focus on was the acceleration of the recovery, but also the acceleration of my heels to my essentially the recovery of my kick to accelerate the kick so because if you pull your legs up gradually you know you can only get your heels so high but if you accelerate them and use that elasticity you can like essentially kick yourself in the butt and then it forces your legs back and that's where i think breaststroke kind of differs from the other stroke is that mindful acceleration of those two elements to get back to i would say the most efficient part of breaststroke, which is that body position with your heads down, your head, hips, and heels are in line and you're in that glide phase. Yeah, that's 
and and that reminds me of the what I call the base position in freestyle yeah. is when you're on your side, your arms extended, your other arms just near your hip because you finished your stroke. That's that to me is the position that we kind of want to return to or get really good at just holding and being in because yep. that's when you're creating the least amount of drag. That's when you're ready to set up the catch, and that's yep. when you're ready to rotate back to the other side as well. And with that start point or, or base position, uh, and just dialing that in, it it gets you really good at feeling for that that streamlined position because the comparison there would be someone who's not really good in that base position is their arms typically crossing over. Maybe their fingertips mm-hmm. are rising up, but their head might be too high and they're either over-rotated, so their legs are splaying, or yep. they're under-rotated and they're, they're too flat. And they're just, yeah. So if you can if you can get really good at, at that position and that's sort of covered in like weak, kind of a little bit of weak too because we talk about like head position, posture and and the kick, but then also in week three, when we go into balance alignment and hand position, it's just getting good at, at that position there. And quite often when I'm running clinics, we spend the first half of the in pool session working on, on that position and just getting mm. them to return to that position and being quite specific about making sure that they are in that position and giving them lots of feedback and changing these little one percenters because if they do that, then they can reduce their drag and they can swim faster. And over the course yep. of 2,000, 3,000 strokes in a race or in training, that really starts to, to add up. So what you may may look for there is if you, let's say you do like a 400-meter a swim and it's just like a, a 60% effort, so pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you have that as your baseline before you do the course. And you, that way you can get your, your stroke rate, your distance per stroke, and you'll see all your stroke counts and stuff like that. Now you might do that at 60%, but it's also not bad to do that at like a 400 meter time trial as well, if you just sort of want to see where your pace is. But then as you go through say week two and week three, what you might start to look at is, all right, when I'm actually getting good at dialing these couple of things in, you should see your stroke count come down for that same sort of effort and your distance per stroke, same thing going, going up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, you know, one of the ways I looked at how do I improve those positions is I stopped actually using a kickboard and did all my kick brushstroke in a full streamline position almost underwater. Mm-hmm. I would do three kicks, fold the arms out, extended head down in perfect position, three or four kicks underwater, come up, quick breath, and just keep going down. And I do all my kick repetitions that way, whether it was 50 meters, 100 meters, 200 meters. One, it increases your lung capacity like crazy, and especially when you're kicking fast under load, but it forces you to develop that position and habit formation, like you said, you know, that side position of kick. Like if you did all your kicking or half your kicking on your side in that position, it would start to be ingrained of knowing what that feels like because you're you're overdoing it, but in a sense that is like sometimes what it takes. Mm. And I th- you want to try and correlate the drills that you're doing or the kick that you're doing into your normal swim stroke. And I was the same when I was doing a lot of breaststroke as a, as a teenager. It's like I, I much preferred to have my hands in the water, same depth mm-hmm. of what I'd do if I was swimming because I felt that that had a much better relevancy to my actual swim stroke. Yeah, and that was I did a lot of that with just even wearing a snorkel and like using my arms as a kickboard. And it also, it, like you don't realize how much like stability – muscle generation you need to do like holding a tight streamline can be tiring especially at the end of the race so you have to you know develop that muscle fatigue and stamina and i think that's really you know comes down to again like what kind of what are you willing to put in even if like you know it is more comfortable to train on a kickboard or you know throw on your fins or just swim with a pool boy yeah yeah that's right and I, I come across a lot of swimmers more triathletes i'd say is they've had a huge reliance on wearing the the pool boy in their sessions and they're weaning themselves off it yeah. and sometimes they need to go cold turkey or sometimes they'll only allow themselves 300 meters at the the end of the session and yeah. like i mean kind of in two minds about it like i think there's there's nothing wrong with using a, a pool boy when you train no. however it does become a, a crutch for a lot of people and if they can, yeah, if you can just swim well without it, then it does help develop your, your kick, which I think can, can help a lot of swimmers. So I know I see, I see both arguments and it really totally. depends on the, the individual. Yeah. I mean, I was very much the 
brushstroker that wore fins a lot of the time because I didn't know how to make my arms and legs like I didn't know how to kick freestyle while swimming. I had a two beat, I either had two beat kick or full up sprint for freestyle. But doing that, have a consistent kick, I could just never pick it up coming from the brushstroke background. But when I wore fins, it was much more natural because I could feel that like increased resistance of the fins, and I used it as a way to condition my legs. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point as well, just in terms of wearing the fins. So if well, a lot of people that do come to clinics, sometimes when they put the fins on, they maybe haven't worn them much mm-hmm. and it's a different sort of movement there. And if you've got really heavy fins, I think it's, it can actually make the kicking a bit harder. So get yourself a good good set of fins. And I, yeah. I really like the DMC Elite fins or I think Arena Sorry, Power fins. Yeah, like or Arena Power fins, fairly similar, but I, I love yeah. the DMC brand. If you get yourself a good pair of fins, it is night and day from a crappy pair. Yeah. And it, that way you're actually going to, to strengthen the legs in the downbeat and the upbeat. And usually when people are doing some of these kick drills, initially there, there are a lot of swimmers who are just like doing this half-ass kick because they're not used to using their legs. And so yeah. they're hardly moving anywhere. And so we try and just get them to have this steady and consistent kick. And then it starts to, to wake up that motor pattern. And then they yep. can start to utilize their legs much better when they, they swim. But it does take a while. But if you if you can recognize that if you're doing just a, like a front kick drill, hands in front, face down, and if your legs are just doing like one kick per second, then you need to waken the legs up and have a more consistent and steady kick. And just start with that. And you will eventually become a lot more effective with your kick. Yeah, I mean... It's a great point. I think about like, you know, I've been doing a lot more running and biking lately and in my warm-ups of those workouts or the running or biking, I do specific like parts of the warm-up where I wake up my legs where if I'm on my bike, I'm doing like three or four rounds of you know, 30 to 40 seconds of trying to get my RPM close to 100, 115. So it's like over doing it, but it's waking up that neuromuscular connection. And if I'm on a treadmill, I'm doing short bursts of like, you know, cranking it up to like nine Know, miles per hour speed or nine and a half just like force like body to like wake up and you know like it reminds me of like swimming warm-ups where near the end of the warm-up we would have multiple like 20 meter bursts whether it was kick or you know full like swim or doing it with fins it was like that okay like you know wake up the body your bodies are still tired from the day before the weeks before so like it's exactly what you're saying. If you're not used to it, like you need to do it more often. Well, yeah, we used to do 15 meter overspeed efforts yeah. in, in a lot of our warm-ups where it's like you're going to be slipping through the water, your stroke rate's going to be up above 100, and mm. you're, not, you're just going to be spinning the wheels. But we want to do that because then when you come back to like 70, 80 strokes mm. a minute, it's going to feel easy. Yeah. It's going to feel, feel much easier. And in week, week eight of the eight-week faster freestyle course, we, we look at stroke rate. And we've got this seven by 100s, kind of like a ramp ramp test where mm-hmm. we just increase the stroke rate by four strokes a minute. Yeah. And so you end up, I think it's on maybe 80 strokes a minute for the last one. Now, a lot of people may not have been above 60, 65 strokes per minute. So as you get to those higher stroke rates in the high 60s, low 70s, you might be spinning the wheels, but mm-hmm. we want to start to wake up the body a bit and just get used to changing our, our stroke rate. And, you know, you can use either a tempo trainer or if you've got form goggles, you can use that live, live stroke rate data there. Hugely beneficial. Yeah. Cause like, it's just, you just don't know what you're, you're doing otherwise. And if you follow that seven one hundreds where you're just ramping it up, you'll be able to track whether or not, like where's your sweet spot with, with yeah. stroke rate, where do you start to slip? Where does your perceived effort go way up? but your speed yeah. doesn't go any, any quicker. And I mean, as a, as a uh, former elite swimmer, like that's something that you really get quite attuned to is your, your limit of where you're starting to slip and when yeah. your stroke rate goes, goes too high. Like that's something that you just get dialed in like a, like a race car. Yeah, it's true. And it's through max repetition and, you know, also like your coach with their eye of their, your technique and, being able to identify like i saw it I, I, it happened here and it's like thinking back it's like that's you know i felt like i was just like spinning my wheels through the water i wasn't pulling anything it's like yeah that's where you essentially lost hold of the water and one of the things that i 
I had to learn over and over again with, like, and I think a lot of swimmers do, a lot of athletes, is that, you know, swimming at the end of the day, at the end of the race, it's who can slow down the least. You're going to slow down. And the best swimmers in the world essentially stay the course better than everyone else. Like, like Michael Phelps, who look at, you know, that's there ever been. And what they do is they don't try and up their rating. It's hold the rating. And when you, it's like, you look at, if you tried to pick up your you know speed by increasing your stroke rate, you might actually slow down because you've broken a rhythm of your body. And now you're just chopping the water. And I used to do that in that last 25 of brushstroke and I would actually start to slow down. And that's where my coach is like, if you just hold what you're doing, finish your stroke and just one at a time, it will feel like not going anywhere, but you are probably holding more water and going faster than trying to pick up your rating. Cause all you're going to do is, you know, especially in breaststroke, like you said, you're fighting so much more resistance. You're just pushing water at this point. So push less water and you'll go faster. It was, I was looking at the splits of the, the women's turn of breaststroke world record that just got <sighs> broken. And it was something like, I can't remember the times exactly, but you got the first 50, obviously that's the fastest with the dive, but the next three fifties within like 0.1 or 0.2 of a second, all of those last three fifties, almost exactly the same. It was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at her second 50, which I thought was, I felt like I was amazed. She went 15 strokes on the second 50 and like, I'm not sure how many people are listening for a female brushstroker to go 35. Oh, in a race. Oh, going 15 strokes and then the next link i think it was 16 or 17 is just out of this world <laughs> high glide so, super efficient she was so far ahead of the field as well it was yeah. it was amazing i just want to come back on on a point you mentioned just about perhaps not looking to increase the stroke rate to go faster at the end of the race the only the, like the main exception there would be in like a 1500 where you see the oh, the yeah, guys sure. bringing you home that last last 50 or perhaps the last 100 but something like a, a 200 freestyle it's who can slow down the least because yeah. you can't, you just ride on that, on that edge, that rev limiter yeah. for, for a whole 200. So I just want to make that, that clarification. And for a lot of people listening, they are more sort of distance swimmers. Uh, or if you're doing triathlon, look, you probably don't need to probably don't want to bring, bring up the stroke rate too much towards the end of the race. Cause you want to just keep that heart rate down. But yeah, there are obviously exceptions there. And I think that's, that's a big part of it is the nuance to, to technique and to advice for different different people as well. And I'm sure that's something that you've seen as you know, your four years at, at Form where you've probably become a lot more accustomed to the type of training and the type of you know, type of swimming that, that triathletes do compared to pool swimmers. Because when mm-hmm. I first came from a pool background to coaching triathletes and, and even open water swimmers for that matter, it was quite it was very different than what I had originally yeah. being taught and i really had to get my head around it and, and start to change the way i was teaching yeah it's 100 percent, and you know it's even if i was like even myself preparing for a triathlon i struggle because you know i have you know good freestyle but i'm a six foot five and i have a really long freestyle stroke so i, I tend to like i really ride and glide on my my side and my arms but like in the open water that like I find I can't go the pace I want to unless I swim at the, the required stroke rate, but I don't train that stroke rate enough. So I can't hold and sustain it. So I get stuck in that like comfortable, you know, probably easy speed. I'm still going probably fast, but in relation to what I could do, it's very challenging for me because I, I need to learn how to train that stroke rate. Mm. Yeah. I went through a period when when was it? It was probably sort of mid mid twenties where I'd come from the pool background and then I just started doing mostly open water swimming. And I remember I swam at a, at a, at a competition in the pool and I did the 400 freestyle. My time was okay, but I remember a friend of mine saying, geez, your stroke looked rubbish there. And I was, I was quite offended because I was you know, coaching, I'm, I'm swimming a lot and getting good yeah. results in the open water, but I hadn't done much, much pool swimming. And, and I knew he was right as well. And I could sort of feel it too, but I just, yeah. I'd really changed my stroke to be good at open water where I was, pr- I was coming over quite high with my left arm and just like quite, quite quick and good at getting my stroke rate up to be like in the, the mid eight, 80s. Wow. And if, if I was 
normally if I was like in the pool doing like a 400 free, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would probably be like maybe low seventies. I would imagine yeah. even like maybe, yeah, probably around 70. So it's just this very different stroke that I developed for the open water. And I, I took offense to that, that comment, but it got me thinking, look, you're right. And the reason I'm offended is because I know he's right. So yeah. when I do swim in the pool, or if I'm training for pool competitions, I'm going to have to change the way I, I train and the way I approach it. Because I was doing a lot of a lot of sessions in the pool where I was I was getting my rating up you know, really mm-hmm. high towards the, when I was working that sort of higher threshold. Because I, I was doing this set of, I did this set of 10 150s and I did it with, there's a guy, Daniel Kowalski, who was an Australian Olympian distance freestyler. Mm-hmm. And he was training at the same pool that I was at. So I did this set with him because he was swimming after I'd finished coaching and when he was going faster, because we'd build one to three, he would just go like rating. He'd go from like low 60s to 70 something and then to like high 80s when he was doing the faster one. And I thought, all right, I'm going to try and match that. And yeah. I got pretty good good results with it, but it made my stroke very scrappy. And he could do yeah, it and yeah. just still look, still look really good. But uh, yeah, I just got into this habit of just rating up and the technique kind of you know, falling away a bit. And now I've sort of come back from that and focusing a bit more on on better technique and not just going for rating after that. Yeah, I have a challenge just even getting over 60 strokes per minute right now, how long and big my body is. <laughs> but that's that's the, the tell guy problems, but you still find a way. But yeah, I mean, when you think about like the amazing eight-week course you have to get faster, you know, one of the biggest benefits of like, you know, utilizing a platform like Form in relation to the effortless eight-week course is, not only you get that data in real time to see whether, you know, are you doing these targeted stroke rates or these increases in your stroke count or decreases in your stroke count as it relates to your time and your pace, you're able to track all that data through the app as well and really focus in on like, okay, week one, that's like my base. But then you can see all this, like every swim you do is recorded and you have that ability to review. So it's a way to kind of like hold yourself accountable if you're being instructed to do different drills or adhere to a new technique change and that's the benefit right yeah that's right you can you can look back at it and and go through the the data and the numbers there and quite often we've had people do like week three week like up to week three week four like oh this feels great my times are improving and then it might be like week five where they're like oh it all fell apart this week and it, it doesn't feel feel great um and that's that's going to happen i can guarantee it's going to happen as you go through the eight-week course that it's not going to be this upward trajectory that everything's just wonderful and it feels great you will have some times where you're asked to make a change or do something different where it will be different than what you've done in the past and it's something that doesn't immediately improve you so ex- expect that to happen but you can you can look at your data and see all right what actually happened there? Was it was I taking five more strokes per per lap? Was this change not not the, the right one I need to make? So it's that's a, a, a certainly a benefit of being able to to track that and and see what the difference is. And even just with the pacing, like yeah, we do quite a bit of build work in some of these main sets. Like for example, like nine one hundreds build one to three, and if if you're looking to and buy build one to three, it's like the first one's easy, second one's medium, third one's fast. Yep. And if you're going in a 50 meter pool, let's say your first lap is 45 seconds. And then when you do the medium one, if it's still 45 seconds and then the fast one, the first lap still 45 seconds, well, you're not really building. So you need to make sure that on that first lap, at least you need to be going out the second faster, second lap, another second faster, just to have that gauge because if you can get really good at gauging your pace and, and using the the goggles to actually see if you are getting faster on the way out, then you can start to get a better idea of if you're doing what's required there. Yeah, and that, like, you talked on two of the most simple things that our goggles do, but they're two of my favorite. Like I love seeing my splits at the turn just because it is a yeah. way to track your pace in a very finite way. Pace per 100 is an amazing metric, but it's an average. Whereas your splits are your turn down to the hundred per second are a true correlation to what you're doing and how you're executing. And if you have real-time stroke rate as the metric you're seeing while you swim, it's like you can kind of understand like to what splits or pace is my optimal stroke rate. So if you're doing that build set and you start at 60 strokes per minute, if you're still at 60 strokes per minute, like you said, on the third, 
well, you're probably going the same speed, but if you gradually increase your stroke rate in the optimal way, you'll see the splits come down too. But you're, you're like, we talked about sweet spots. Like what's your sweet spot for your easy speed? What's your sweet spot for your 80% speed or 70% speed? Every kind of different effort range requires a different combination of the metrics to optimize your swimming performance. Mm. And it's, it's a lot less than what people expect i think in terms of like strike rate like for me if i'm if i'm going like a a build set i'll normally start off at like 60 strokes per minute and then when i'm going at like sort of threshold it's like 65 strokes per minute 66 like it doesn't increase that much when i'm just having this gradual gradual build but i think people expect it to be like you start off at 50 and get up to 70 it's like it's yeah. now you're just turning the, the dial up a little bit like increasing that rev that rev you know the revs from like three thousand to three and a half thousand to four thousand like it's very minor changes now it, it, obviously it takes time to get used to it but it yeah it, it's a lot less than what you might expect yeah i agree you're just slightly tightening the bolt just a little bit more and that's the key is like you're not looking for these huge increment like massive changes it's a small incremental change but small incremental change in pool can be very impactful but can also come with a lot of different sensation and how that feels because you're pushing more water like it's it's interesting like the added element of resistance at all points of time when you're in the pool changes your perception and if you don't come from that swimming background it's like i'll compare it i'm learning like i took up skiing as an adult and it's very technical to me I think it's a very technical sport and my brain at the end of the day is just exhausted because I'm so focused on the technique I'm learning from like the instructor and trying to keep doing that technique when I'm skiing on my own and like swimming, I hear the same thing. If you don't come from the swim background, like I feel exhausted mentally and physically at the end of the day. Cause if you are interested in getting better, you, you have to focus so hard on what is that thing I'm supposed to be doing. You know, Brunton told me like, you know, roll on my side, establish my high level catch, and pull straight back through the body. Like it requires a lot of thought process. Mm. I had someone attend a clinic a few weeks back and he is a, a mountain bike coach and also a doctor. And he's, he's looked into what happens when you're learning a new skill or a new movement. And he was saying that you end up incorporating a lot of the unnecessary muscles. So the muscles that you yeah, wouldn't use at the end, once you get, good at this movement but you end up using a a lot more muscles so you're burning a lot more calories that way plus you've got the mental load as well burning a lot of a lot of calories so that's why it's exhausting making these these changes for those those two reasons so i knew about like the mental load because i think they if you measure someone's like how much energy they're burning someone playing chess it's like it's they're using a lot of calories just thinking things out so yeah. you've got that side of it, but then also just the unnecessary muscles that when you do get efficient at that that movement, they then switch off and you're using yeah. only what's required, but not at the start. And I'm, I'm guessing that's probably what you experienced when you were changing oh, your breaststroke. 100%. Like that tension, those, yeah, everything. It's like it was mental and physical exhaustion to the extreme. And I think once I hit that like aha moment, like, I started to be relaxed in the new technique. And I think that's the key is like swimming does have a form of like tension when you're learning it. But once you get to that like flow state and that rhythm that it's like, I hear a lot, you probably hear this too. It's like, I have to focus on when to breathe when I swim. When it does become that, like you don't even realize you're doing it, that the tension has gone down and like that amount of energy you've used to do that has gone down. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's exactly right. I do see when yeah, when people are doing some drills at clinics and there's a lot of thought going into it, they're trying to make the positions right. And one of the things I think of is our YMCA drill where it's like you hold your arms in those four sort of key positions for freestyle. Yeah. Initially, pardon me, initially there's like there's a lot of tension there. They're just like really holding it hard. And then as they after they do it a little bit, I just ask them just, all right, now just relax in those positions. And when if they can or when they can relax there it's like oh okay i can actually hold my arms here and it's quite easy i don't need to muscle this this position but it's just the initial reaction to when you're concentrating on something uh, a lot so that's the optimum 
goal is to be able to relax, relax through the movements, but it is unlikely to happen straight away. No, it takes time and effort and patience. I would say a lot of patience and dedication. I think that's a good place to, to end it, Scott. Well, yeah. thank you very much for being on the, on the podcast. Is there anything that comes to mind in terms of what you're sort of looking forward to with, with form, what you've got in the, in the works of what's, what's been released as well? Because you, know, you guys have been a sponsor of the show for, for quite a few years now, which I really appreciate. And I mean, one of the things that I may not have mentioned is just like the custom workout builder. There's been a lot of development going on behind the scenes. Do you want to talk a bit about what's coming out, what's just been released? Because I don't think I've mentioned a lot of that lately. Yeah. So I would say over the last year and a half, our really big focus is going from just a pair of goggles that gives you a heads up display and you can track all your data in real time to being a full blown swim platform. So now we have, you know, a swim platform that's powered by our goggles in the heads up display. So now we have you know, over a thousand guided workouts in the app, 30 plus training plans, whether you're looking to swim longer, increase your endurance and faster, increase your technique or training for sprint, you know, Olympic half iron, full iron. We have all those, but then we also have, you know, got the custom workout builder where you can put those coach workouts that you have, or if you're following an eight week plan, you can load those using the custom workout builder in the app. It's very fast, very efficient, but having that guided workout, especially when you're not swimming in a squad, it holds you accountable because it, when you have something telling you what to do, you're more likely to do it versus kind of like, maybe we'll just do one last, or I don't feel like trying at 70%. When something's in your face saying swim at 70%, more than likely you're going to do it. And then some of the future iterations and feature releases that we have coming up this year. Can't go too much into it because there are going to be some big launches. But what I can say is there's going to be great enhancements to the overall swim form experience. And we're really excited about that. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Scott. Appreciate you being on the, the podcast. And I just, I, I love the fact that I'd love to hear the story of someone who at your level has been able to actually make it, make a change to their technique and take two steps back to go three steps forwards. I think it's a, you know, it's, it's really great to hear that from someone at your level, because I, th I think there's people out there who are, you know, might be swimming three times a week and doing triathlon or doing open water swimming and go, I just can't, I can't afford to, to make a big change to my stroke, but if you can, I'm sure they can as well. So I yes, thanks uh, again for being on the podcast. It's worth the effort and time, but thanks again for having me and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.